Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. All right, so Matthew chapter 16, I got a couple things to hit, but before, uh, well, let me read it. Yeah, let me read it. Matthew chapter 16, and I'm just going to read one verse of the many that we've been reading. Um, and, and, and actually, I'll start in verse 16 just to make it make it make sense. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you would know some of this. If you haven't, go check the podcast. I really feel like this has been a foundational series for us as a church, and in so many ways, a vision series for us as a church. Who do people say that I am? I want us to be a church who understands who our community and neighborhood says Jesus is. I think it's important. Beyond that, though, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? How have you seen Jesus? And Peter answers in verse 16 of Matthew 16 and says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will... Build my church, and the forces or the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You, upon this rock, upon this revelation of Christ, upon upon this confession of Christ, that's where I will build my church, on this distinct revelation that becomes a distinct confession that begins to put together a distinct community. And then we see Jesus say, it wasn't, it wasn't the wisdom of men, what philosophy, build your church. And so it wasn't that that did it. It was that there was, something, there was something revealed to you, something revealed to you. This is how the body of Christ grows, that we sit in front of Jesus long enough to have something revealed to us. Truly, this is how you mature in your faith. It is not by coming with all the answers, but it's by sitting at the feet of Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit grow you up into Christ Jesus. And so there's this this moment when Jesus goes, okay, it wasn't that that showed you. That's amazing. You're blessed. You are blessed, Peter. And he says, and upon this rock, upon this rock, what? The confession, the revelation of Christ. I will build my church It's interesting that he doesn't put the responsibility on the disciples, but upon himself. I will build my church. And then he says this other phrase, and the gates of Hades, or hell, depending on if you're reading King James, the gates of hell will not prevail, overwhelm, overpower it. In fact, it uses a couple different uh, phrases that give you a couple different postures of the gates of hell. but, But he says this massive phrase, the gates of hell will never overpower it. There's this painting in the Sistine Chapel as I was preparing for this message. And, and anytime you're going to talk a little bit about Hades and hell, we're not necessarily going to be talking about, some of y'all are like, yes, I've been waiting for this. I'll do a series on hell later just because I want to poke everybody a little bit. And, um, and there's this painting in the Sistine Chapel called the Day of Judgment, Judgment Day. This is, the, this, is when, this is when everybody dies. There's all kinds of beautiful paintings, all kinds of beautiful things. Uh, would you throw that up there, Julian, the, the Sistine Chapel? This is a picture. Now, it's not going to show up in great detail here, but you kind of see it better than we were seeing it earlier this morning. And you can kind of see this dividing line here, right? This is kind of where everything's happening. And what's happening in this picture is that there is, there is a, a decision being made about someone's eternity. 
All right? You, you, you confess Jesus, or maybe for some people you did, you lived the right thing, you lived the right way, you made all the right decisions, you were a holy person, and so you earned it, which would be bad theology, but regardless, there is, there is this, this kind of element where, where, okay, you're going here, this is your place, and then the other side where you're going, okay, you've missed the mark, you haven't done it well, or you never believed in Jesus, and so you're going to hell. Now, we're not going to get into that fun conversation today. It is a big conversation. It has driven a lot of the church over the last uh, several, well, couple hundred years, especially in, in the Western church, there's some things that have been picked up on. And, and so I'm uh, just, Brandon, just stay on point. Stay on point here. Don't, don't go there. And so what, what ends up happening is, is we get into this place. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this. What's happening in this picture is that people are being put in their place. Have you ever been put in your place by anybody? Anybody have parents? Right? Anybody have teachers? My kids started school this week. I don't think it's happened yet. It was only three days. But at some point, I'm very confident that my children will be put in their place. Very confident. Has anyone, have you ever had like a stranger put you in your place and you're like, you don't know me? I'm about to put you in a place. Right? You, you, has anyone ever put anyone else in their place? Anyone, anyone tweeted someone into their place? Anyone Instagrammed someone into their place? I was, someone tried to put me in my place the other day. It was around mask. I didn't post anything about mask. I haven't. I've held back. But I, I haven't posted anything. But I posted my son at kindergarten with a mask off. And someone, someone tried to put me in my place. And I just replied, nicely. Because here's the thing. We live in a culture right now that is obsessed, that is driven by putting people in their place. We, we have become the judgment day down the line, and we brought it, and this is what happens. Whatever your eternal view of life is, you will bring it into your temporary living. You will. It's what, whatever your vision is for tomorrow, it will show up in your present. It's why if you worry about tomorrow, your, your, your per, current day is kind of it's messed up. If you, if you bring those things into so we've, we've become this culture, we've become, especially those of us who have more than anyone else in the world, have become this culture where we are putting people in their place. And we're doing it on, with modes of communication, mediums of communication, that don't work for that. And we've, we've, become, we've actually made it so short that there's, there's zero room for grace, zero room for nuance, zero room for conversation, zero room for tension. It's just you are. In fact, my favorite book from last year was this book called The Coddling of the American Mind. And it's, 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 it's a, I think it's a phenomenal book. I think it's an incredible book. And there's this quote in it because what it talks about is, and just to be clear, these guys, these writers, they throw a curveball at you at the end. But basically, they're telling uh, everyone that no one is doing it better than the other group. Now, it's clearly more political uh, of a book, but the idea being that, um, that the right and the left are both obsessed with making sure nobody gets to say what they want to say if it's different w- than what they're saying. Conservative colleges are doing the exact same thing as liberal colleges and not allowing certain speakers into the place because, well... That might cause some challenges. 
And it's not always the faculty. Sometimes it's the students. A lot of times it's the students petitioning. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to. And because we, we've created a safety culture, and we created this thing where, where we, and I understand there's bounds and limits on all things, but the reality is that we've created this thing. And so what they talk about is, well, I'll just read this quote because I think it's a beautiful quote. Here you go. The colony of the American mind. If only it were so simple, and he's talking about this distinguishing between good and evil people. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. That's not a Christian book, but sometimes Christians need to hear that. That we all have this wrestling between good and evil. We all have this wrestling between what is right and wrong. And we have become a culture where, no, 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 we know who the evil people are. I mean, I'm watching these Twitter comments and these Facebook comments. I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. But I am. And I'm watching these phrases and these statements. And no, it's not just one side. It just depends on whatever the tweet was about. And there's people jumping in going, well, good riddance. I hope something bad happens to them. Oh, well, they'll get what they deserve. Oh, well, they will finally be put in their place. What kind of humanity are we creating when we completely and without much critical thinking completely dismiss and dehumanize and denigrate an entire group of people purely because you don't agree with what they think? That doesn't look like heaven to me, and it doesn't look like the church to me. And it is not a humanity I really want to be a part of. That's why I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't either. See, the verse, the power of this verse is not, it's not in, in where it will be or what will happen or the day that you finally die and you are sitting at the judgment seat and someone's putting your place. It, that's not the power of this verse. The power of this verse is that it brings the kingdom of heaven and hell into your present day. See, the gates of Hades, well, number one, gates meant power. Wherever the gates are, that is the power that is being decided. That, that is the power that is residing in that place. There is a, there is a power that sits here. There is a, there's a power that is a, uh, has dominion over this arena or this area. And so Jesus, what does Jesus do? What is the first thing he says on the earth? When he goes to get baptized, what do you say? He goes, repent and be baptized. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. I have come to announce what? The kingdom. Not next, day, next year, not, not, like, not, not when you die, but like right now, I'm announcing that heaven has shown up. Let's do something. Jesus' whole mission was to begin to establish on the earth the kingdom of heaven. Why? Why was he doing that? Why was he trying to bring heaven into the earth? Well, because hell, the gates of Hades, were trying to take more and more ground every single time. And Jesus showed up so that he could destroy the gates of hell, the gates of Hades. Now, Hades is actually a physical, real place. 
Hades was a place where children, uh, child sacrifice happened. Hades was a place where, uh, where all kinds of death and destruction was happening. It was, it was a terrible, terrible place. And so when Jesus references gates of Hades, which King James basically, uh, Gehenna and Hades and all these words that represented hell or anything like it, they put into one word and it just said hell. Jesus actually makes on multiple occasions these distinguishing remarks around what these are. So he says, the gates of Hades, the forces, HCSB, the one I just read, says what? The forces of Hades. Not just the, the place of Hades. Hear me, are you guys with me? I know we're kind of we're not going deep without going deep, and I'm trying to keep it quick. The gates of Hades, the forces of hell. That when you have a revelation of Christ, the gates of hell will not overwhelm or overpower it. So everything that is evil and wrong, everything that is not from the Lord, everything that is hell trying to ex, uh, uh, show its dominion and power that you and I, the church, built on the revelation of Christ, are meant to be people who bring heaven into the places where hell is. See, what happens when we begin to think of hell and heaven as future things we never allow them to become present realities. We don't bring them into our present world because they're forever away. We don't know when that'll show up. So we think of hell as some place we go when we die rather than a place that is trying to encroach on the place where we currently live. What if you thought about when you're driving through the city of Fort Worth or driving down your neighborhood and you saw a homeless person, you said, I'm not going to let hell continue to invade. When you saw disagreement and disunity, you go, oh, man, you know what? I'm not going to let the gates of Hades continue to prevail here. I'm actually here so that I might bring heaven into the earth. I'm going to be the person who helps the homeless. I'm going to be the person who gives to Afghanistan. I'm going to be the person who takes a, a widow and makes sure they're okay. I'm going to be a person who takes care of the orphan. I'm going to be a person who brings peace and hope and agreement I'm not going to be the person who continues to put people in their place. What if I could be the person who brings heaven into the earth? I know we see a lot of different things when we think of Hades or hell. But one way to just simply think of Hades is the place of the dead. There's some who write about this moment um, in, in, uh, in a way that's speaking towards Jesus' death and resurrection. That Jesus is saying here that I'm about to die, but the gates of death, the gates of death will not overpower me, and thus it will not overpower the church. See, Jesus says what? John 10.10. 10, I have come that you might have life. And he actually is referencing in that moment being a gatekeeper. He's actually talking about being a good shepherd. He's actually talking about this idea that I'm the one who's, I, I have come to give you life, but the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Was he talking about that tomorrow? Or is he talking about that now? Is, 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 is Jesus trying to reference some future reality, or is he trying to reference the fact that right now the enemy is trying to pull you apart? The enemy is trying to pull us apart. The enemy is trying to bring hell on earth because we're trying to bring heaven on earth. It's interesting, it is interesting that the first thing Jesus does in the moment, he, this is the first time he ever mentions church. This is the first time church is mentioned in the Gospels. What does Jesus do when he mentions church? He immediately says, you've got a fight on your hands. It's like, all right, I'm going to build my church, and you aren't going to lose to the gates of hell. 
to the gates of death. It will not overpower you. It will not shut you down. It will not end you because it cannot end me. I promise you, this moment right here matters, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. See, we get into this place when we think about the word hell, and we tend to think of, we tend to think of only the afterlife. And we tend to think of uh, after death, what happens. That's how we always reference hell. We always do. N.T. Wright, a great theologian, uh, says this. The point is that when Jesus was warning his hearers about Gehenna, that's another story where he references a physical place to speak to a spiritual principle. His hearers about Gehenna, he was not, as a general rule, telling them that unless they repented in this life, they would burn in the next one. As with God's kingdom, so with its opposite. It is on earth that things matter, not somewhere else. What is Jesus trying to get across to us when he says, hey, the revelation of Christ, you're blessed when you have that. You know why? Because the gates of death and Hades will not overpower that revelation. How many of you don't need that tomorrow? You need it today. How many of you need to understand that principle now, not just later? How many of you need to know that, yeah, okay, hell and heaven, we can talk about the afterlife, but man, I just need to know this life. I need to know in this current life, in this present moment, that heaven wins, that the presence of Jesus wins, that the Holy Spirit wins. I need to know right now, not tomorrow. Here's what I want to tell you. I loved hearing, I heard someone say this this week. God wants the hell out of earth. And can I just tell you something? So do your friends who don't like the church. So do your friends who don't believe in Jesus. They want the hell out of earth. They're just as torn up watching refugees flee their home. They're just as torn up when their marriage is falling apart. They're just as torn up when their friends are hurting. They're just as torn up because they want the hell out of earth too, just like you and I pray about, sing about, preach about every single week. Jesus prays this prayer. I, hey, let the kingdom of heaven on the earth, that your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Everything Jesus did on the earth was to bring Heaven into this present moment to combat what hell was trying to do in this present moment. You and I, let me just tell you something, you and I have already entered into eternity. That's part of the, that's part of the challenge of the gospel, that the moment we repent, we become what? A new creation. Right then. Not like later. Now we have to work this thing out, of course. God is doing something new. But when you and I follow Jesus, we've already stepped into a different worldview. We already live in a different meta-narrative. We already understand things at a different level. No, not so that we can make sure other people know they don't know what we know, but to make sure that people understand there is a different story to live by. There is a story that hell is trying to live, and there's a story that heaven is trying to bring. And you and I are the church. We are meant to be those who bring heaven into everyone's current hell. The gates of Hades, the gates of death, the one thing people, human, humans have never been able to conquer, never been able to defeat. We've never been able to, to somehow get our way. And we try, we try really, really hard. We, we try really, really hard to make sure death never shows up. But death has always been the thing that looms over civilization. And we have different responses to it, don't we? Some responses are, well, just live it up because you only got one life. We'll just do whatever you want to do. 
right? And the other response is, oh my God, I better do everything perfectly because I've only got this much time. And, and in both cases, it's not really healthy. Neither case is healthy. Neither worldview is healthy. There's only one worldview that brings health and life and hope, and it's the one that is meant to bring life and life abundant, like John 10, 10 says. Why does Jesus look at his disciples and say, you're going to endure some difficulties. You're going to have some challenges, but do not fear because I have overcome. He doesn't even say hell here. What does he say? I have overcome the world where hell has tried to set up its systems and its structures and all the things that would hold down people, the way in which we have shame and guilt, and we try to compare, and we try to see who we are compared to that person and this person, and we try to put people in their place. And, and Jesus came to say, no, 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 repent. And he says it to the Jews and the Romans alike. Hey, repent because you've still been basing it on the wrong things. I am the kingdom of heaven here and now, and it is near and you and I get to bring it into the earth, into our lives. We get to bring it into the places that we frequent. We get to bring it into the places where we walk. You can't kill the church because you can't kill Jesus. You can't overwhelm the church because you can't overwhelm Jesus. You can't overthrow the church because you can't overthrow Jesus. You can't shut down the church because you can't shut down Jesus. The thing you and I need to hear about is if we base it on anything else than the one who defeated death, we will always live in fear of it. We will always live in fear of what death might bring. What's going to be my legacy? What's going to be, I have a purpose and if I don't live it before I'm 42 or 78 or we just fear what might come instead of living fully and freely in what God has already brought. I am the kingdom of heaven brought near in Christ Jesus. And death cannot overpower me. And so guess what? It cannot overpower the church. He will build his church. How does he build his church? We read about it in the last couple weeks, 1 Corinthians 3. He says, I can't give you anything more than milk because you're so disunified. Because look at you, you don't even understand. You're, you're built in Christ and, and you're meant to be together on this thing and you, you can't even stay together and I can't, give you, I can't give you all the stuff you need because of that. But then he gets to the end, he's, he begins to clarify something. He says, because, and this is what he gives, the reason. The reason is because many of you are saying, I believe in Apollos and I believe in Paul. Because your confession is wrong, your relationships are disjointed. Because you're confessing in Apollos and you're confessing in Paul, you have actually, you've actually pulled the church apart rather than brought it together. And Paul begins to correct it and says, hey, you don't, this is not how it works. I, I plant it. Apollos waters it. But man, God is the one who makes it grow. You're, I, I, we used to hear this all the time. We're going to build the church. No, we're not. No, we're not. That is not my job. It is not your job. You know what your job is? To look upon Jesus and point other people there and watch as the church just goes. Phew. Just keep Jesus. Eyes on Jesus all the time, every time. Man, I don't know about vaccines. Jesus. I know there's real conversations to have there. I get it. I don't know about masks. Jesus. I don't know about this or that. Jesus. I don't know about this problem or that issue or this thing. And God's going to give you answers, but only when you... Look at Jesus. Because if you don't, then you will build it on philosophies of men. If you don't, you will be the person arguing point for point with people who don't want to listen anyways. 
because quite frankly, you aren't listening either. But when you point to Jesus, something else begins to happen. You begin to realize that it's not good people versus bad people. It's good and bad people versus good and bad people. And we got to find something that's different. we got to find something that breaks that line off, that begins to break through those gates. He's going to build the church. He's going to make it grow. My goal here is to do nothing more than to give you Christ and Christ crucified. To give you nothing more than to point you to Jesus. That's the only thing that I'm here to do. It's the only thing we're here to do as community is to point each other to Jesus so that we forgive well. Point people to Jesus so we have more grace. Point people to Jesus so we lay down our lives for one another. Point people to Jesus so we set the table. Point people to Jesus so that people won't be overwhelmed by the temporary things that are afflicting them, but will realize that the kingdom of heaven is eternal and God will do what he said he would do in you and me and in the church. And when he comes back, like he says in Revelations, to establish a new heaven and a new earth, you and I will be part of bringing that into formation and bringing that into fruition because he has not been overwhelmed by all the things that have overwhelmed us. He has not been defeated by all the things that have defeated us. He has not been beat up by all the things that have been beating us up. And we can stand up in that revelation of Christ. The death could not hold him, and so it cannot hold us either. See, the only way, 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 the only way that we defeat the gates of hell is through the open door of the gospel. See, we... We, are, we don't get to put people in their place. It's not our role. I know. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. So hard. Yes, you can fight for things. You can speak up for things. I'm not telling you. We don't get to put people in their place. You know what the role of the church is? To prepare a place. We are prepare a place people. We prepare a place for those who disagree with us, who look different than us, who fight for different causes than us, who fly different flags than us. We prepare a place for those who've hurt us. What does Jesus do? The good shepherd does what? He prepares a table for me in front of my enemies. Jesus goes to to the religious people and says, go tell them about a party, and they won't do it. And he goes, okay, flip. Hey, why don't you go tell all the beggars and all the people who no one else would welcome into this place that I've got a table for them. Go tell them, bring them in here. Get them in here because the people who don't want it, they don't need to have it. It's fine. Cool. But all the people who want it, who've never been invited to the party, they get to come. I'm preparing a place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat down the gates of hell by continuing to open my door every time someone thinks hell is cro- encroaching on their life. Every time hell is overwhelming and overthrowing, every time hell is trying to establish its dominance and its power in their life, I'm going to open the door of the gospel and say, you're welcome in here where there's grace and there's hope. Every time someone tries to lord death over my life, I'm going to look at the cross because death cannot defeat me because he cannot defeat the Savior. Amen? So whatever you're facing right now, you have a place here. Whatever you're walking through right now, there is a table here. Whatever pain you're feeling, there's a table here. I don't care what the issue is. I, I, I'm so sick of churches taking stances and not building tables. I know that can get weird because you're like, well, sometimes you got to stand up for something. I get that. Stand up for people. I almost said a bad word. I'm sugar. 
I'm serious though. Love people. Don't make a point. Love people. I'm going to stand up for things, but I'm going to do it by loving the person first. We don't judge a person for the worldview. We love a person through it. They haven't found your story yet. Don't demonize them for that. Don't make them feel like they're terrible people because they haven't figured it out like you have. And let's be real honest, you struggle with it too sometimes. Christians aren't perfect. Yes, I'm going long because we all need to hear this. And yes, you can go now. It's 1130, not 1030. If you got to roll, you got to roll. It's okay. I get it. Worship team, come on up here. Otherwise, I won't stop talking. But we need to hear this so badly right now. So badly we need to hear. Do you not trust God enough that if you welcome somebody to your table that disagreed with you that you couldn't see God work in them? Do you really feel like you got to stand up for God so much that, that you got to make all the points so that, so that God doesn't have to? No. You know what God's greatest point he will ever make to the earth? I sent my son so that whoever believes in him would not perish. Right now, perish. Right in this moment, die. Give up everything. No, I'm going to give my son because I love him so deeply that even right now they would have life. Even right now they would enter new things. Even right now they would stand up in the righteousness of Christ. Even right now, because we prepared a place, we didn't put people in their place. That is not our job. God will make it grow. Let us build the church by loving people now, here, in this moment. Sure, stand up for things, but not at the sake of people. Pull people out of hell. Bring them into heaven. Bring them into heaven. Because heaven is not dead. Jesus is not dead. His church, we're going to sing it now. His church is alive. The chief cornerstone. We do not build it on the wisdom of men, but upon Christ Jesus. That is it and only it. And hell will not win. Why don't you stand with me? Again, I know I went long. It's okay. My dad always tells me, don't tell people that. It's fine. <laughs> but I can't help it. Lord, we pray right now. God, I pray whatever is defeating people, whatever is overwhelming people, God, whatever is overpowering people, God, we pray right now that your church, they're not fighting this on their own. They're not fighting with the wisdom of men, and they're not fighting in a community of people who don't know Jesus. They're in a church. They're in the house of God, built on the revelation of Christ, that he is the son of the living God, that he is the Messiah, the one who came to save. And right now, hell doesn't win. Right now, Hades does not get to expand its territory. Right now, heaven invades. Right now, heaven makes a way. Right now, heaven is the thing that is pushing forward. Come on, if you're right now, you're being overpowered, overwhelmed. We pray right now. Come on, church, if you're not, this is your moment. Come on, plant something, water something, pray something, believe something, have faith for something. God, we pray right now in Jesus' name that what is overwhelming would no longer. Lord, what is trying to win would not win. What is trying to defeat and steal and kill and destroy would not happen in Jesus' name. Lord, you have not died, and so we do not die. Lord, the church in Afghanistan will not die because you have not died. You will build your church in the most difficult of seasons because you have gone through the most difficult of moments. You gave your life so that we could know what life looks like. So God, we, can, we will keep opening doors. We will keep setting tables. We will keep preparing a place. And we will not join in with those who would put people in their place. We will not join in with scoffers. We will not join in 
with sinners. We will not join in with that. We will plant our feet upon the word of the Lord, delight in it day and night, and we will become a tree where people find rest, like a seed planted, like the mustard seed planted that grows into a kingdom that where all people can find a place in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.